everybody welcome back to the collective we got uh dr c carlos is in the house which is always good to have you back thank you so much and of course thank you as always hanging out in his uh potty room <laughs> god good to see you buddy um, before we go anywhere or too far, I want to make sure that everybody is liking and subscribing and notifying themselves of the podcast whenever it kicks in, which is every day. So make sure you're subscribed, up to date, good to go, so that we can get into the conversations. And hopefully, maybe one day I won't have to say that. But wow, that is a full copy. Man. Holy jeez. That's after a few sips, man. It I was, was thinking... crazy walking it in here. Um, well, I have uh, I have a topic. Is there anything though that you guys have on the top of your head? Anything that you want to bring up, throw to the discussion beforehand? No. Uh, not not me. Not I'm sure really? something is going to pop up. I'm sure <laughs> we Guaranteed get started. It always job. pops up. I, I'm quite surprised it hasn't started already. We're, we're kind of 30 <laughs> seconds late to the subject that we didn't know we were going to talk about. <laughs> this is why I am in charge, I guess. <laughs> I'm the one. To, I'm the one pressing all the buttons, so everybody follow. Me. So the what I want to talk about today: combative stress interpretation, and. The reason I wanted to get into this is actually it goes into originally we had uh, we we're going to have Dr. Gino on here as well, but he is not feeling well. So um, I was hoping we could have a couple of doctors like let them talk about it. <laughs> um, but uh, unfortunately, he's sick. So we have uh, the reason I wanted to get into this is that the uh, Sean and I were talking about this a little while ago. Carl, what's up? Good to see you, man. I'm going to call you later today. We got to hook up for coffee at some point. Um, the reason I want to talk about this is Sean and I were talking a little bit a little while ago about uh, the difference between like trauma bonding and shared hardship, right? Because you go through basic training, which can be tr technically traumatic, right? You're completely shifting your entire uh, culture and the way you live and the way you do things into a completely new way of doing things um, while under stress constantly. And then you bond through that. And um, I think it, it'll it apply later on into how this applies to combative stress interpretation. But is that technically trauma bonding? Or is that just like shared hardship where you come together? Um, Would you know? Well, trauma bonding is a very interesting thing. Is Warriors will tend to have it. And warriors can be in a lot of different ways. We see it in MMA. We see it in the UFC, how they bond after a fight most of the time. But most of the time they will. But in combat, I have noticed that we saw that with the Band of Brothers. I think it was a series a long time mm -hmm. ago on cable. I don't watch TV, so I have no idea anymore. I can't remember. But I know with talking to over, I don't know now, I think over 100 soft guys, it's been fascinating to see the bond that they have. I mean, one of the stories that comes to mind is a Green Beret that told me uh, he got called by another Green Beret who was having trouble. It was about two in the morning. And he was having some really bad thoughts. You can kind of go, you can kind of take it that way, as you know, where are you going to go? And mm -hmm. um, so this particular Green Beret, I don't know if they want to name names, so I'm not going to name their names, but we'll just say John said that uh, he told Bob that I'll be there and I'll be there. So I'm coming over. I didn't realize it was four and a half hours away, but he went there. He went there at 2.30 in the morning, got there at seven and spent the rest of the day that's hard to find even in regular friendships. So something happens out there. And I think it's because of the unique experiences and the stress levels, of, of course, as well, 
that unite these individuals, but they know nobody else understands that world. This is one of the issues with the soft community and mental health sometimes is because a lot of mental health professionals have no clue. And it's not a knock against them. It's just really don't understand it. It's a world that you just can't, you can't read about. Mm-hmm. You can't watch Black Hawk Down and, and, and movies like that and try to understand it. It's just so unique. The experiences, the adrenaline rush that they have. Um, I never try, even though I've, I've no dozens of friends now and I've interviewed a hundred. I don't act like I know their world. I don't, I may understand it better than the average Joe, but still it's nothing I can even fathom in my mind. So I think, yeah, you have that unique situation that does allow them to bond. We see it a lot in athletes and I don't mean to compare that combat to that to sports, but there is some little bit of similarity mm-hmm. in that world. Sean, you got any thoughts on trauma bonding? while you're taking a big sip <laughs> well i was just uh, thinking not not anything in respect to building this out or whatever i was curious uh, how many we, we could never know how many therapists are combat veterans or are or special operators who understand that feeling that that uh, we'll call it that bonding where a person will drive four and a half hours away uh, at, at all night to get to help a friend. I wonder how many therapists are also SOF or former SOF. Have you any idea? I don't know that number. That's a good question. I have no idea. Um, military wise, there are, I would assume several hundred at least. I know that we have one in the class right now. I'm going to black out for a second, but we have one in the class that right now that's about, I think he's a former Marine. I've had, a uh, couple of Navy SEALs in the past. We engage here. Um, those are the ones that I know, at least from my personal experience, which is a very limited sample population. Mm-hmm. But they do understand a lot better. Now, the Navy SEAL that I knew that I had in the class, it was interesting to hear him because he was suffering through PTSD as well. But um, he's going for that community. I know the Delta Force guy. He doesn't, I don't know, he doesn't, he's not a therapist, but he really, he's a big proponent of mental health. And they actually, I think, created a program to help mental health professionals be more astute. And it's Tom Satterley. Uh, I forgot what the name of his operation something. Do you know him, LaShawn? Looks like you might know him. I, I recognize the name, but I'm trying to recall what he's involved in. But I do know the name and I'm not sure why. Yeah, I'll look it up on, on he's on Instagram. Um, he was a Delta Force guy. He was in Black Hawk Down itself, actually. Oh, well, maybe that's why uh, I know his name. Yeah, super nice guy. His wife is great, too. Uh, and and they, they're working on foundation. There it is. Is it uh, All Secure Foundation? That's it. Yep. Oh, there, there we go. go. I'm going to reach out to him, see if we can get him on the collective. Cool, man. Oh, you definitely oh. should. Yeah. Definitely well, that's should. good because, that again, that's that's another fascinating thread as part of the overall conversations that I love having. So your data set is actually larger than my data set. I don't know anyone who's in the therapy game that has any special operations uh, uh, experience. And so you know more than I do, as per usual, this is how my life runs. And so (laughs) what you're, you're, you've kind of casually already stated your casual observations on the difference that you could maybe loosely inferred as a delta between a standard issue therapist and then a special operations former serving therapist. So what, what, what do you think would make it 
give them that extra little bit of secret sauce or that little bit of extra hook uh, to be able to help someone? Or is it is there nothing that you could call out as kind of unique or special? I think the 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 key one of the main factors would be the similarity of experiences. So what I'm referring to, we see this a lot in the drug addiction world. You'll see a lot of places that will hire want somebody who's recovered from an addiction. And I guess not to call soft community an addiction, but it's a similar vein in the sense of I want somebody who understands what I went through kind of mentality. And I think that's what they're they have is they know they know the training. They know how difficult it is. They know the challenges of being out there. This is not easy. They know that things don't go right all the time and how you have to think about it. They know the stress of not being home. When I've talked to the Delta guys, when I do my podcast, and I don't mean to, to shout it out here, but when I do the podcast, I try to do a different bet, which is usually the psychological bet about these individuals. And I learned that. I learned about them. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of them have, like we talked about before, Sean, too, is cognitive flexibility. They have that ability to, to see things in different ways, to get out of problems. And I think that's actually a great thing and also can be a detriment sometimes because when you have a mental health, a psychiatric disorder, like a PTSD, you feel flustered that you can't get out of it, that you can't do something about it when you're so used to being able to get out of every other mess that's in life. And now all of a sudden you got this own mess that you can't seem to solve. And that becomes more of a challenge. And I think they can relate to that. And uh, one of the biggest things with mental health professions, and I always tell my students, which is similar to dating in a way, when you first go on that date, you got a wall between you and you're trying to reduce that wall to get to know each other. The more you get to know each other, the higher that trust level goes and the lower that wall comes between you. And it's the same thing with uh, therapy, but it starts off a lot easier if the other person already has an idea. The last thing anybody wants to hear in the military world or the law enforcement world is, why did you have to draw your weapon? <laughs> why did you have to shoot? Right? These are some of the things that people sometimes will say when they don't understand that community well. There's also the, I think, at least, I like I know of a few, um, not just soft, but former military that have become psychologists, psychiatrists, and there is a, there's a different air to them, right? Like you can, mm. just walking in the room, there is, uh, there's an attachment there, like you can just, you feel like you're with another troop. It doesn't feel like you're uh, with a psychologist <laughs> like there's there's there no it's not really like a professional barrier there is one but it doesn't feel that way from what i know from the from the people that i know it's a and i could definitely see where soft would be a whole nother level of that where if you were former special operations and then became a psychologist there would be a lot less description and i know from my uh time dealing with my psychologist there were lots of times where i would say something and she'd be like what is what is that? And then I have to explain it, which kind of derails mm. the the process, right? <laughs> You're not actually getting through it because you have to stop every once and explain it. My doc's really good, though. I only ever had to explain anything once. So <laughs> unfortunately for other docs, there's times like my, my first doc, I had to explain stuff over and over and over again. We spent a lot more time me just going through pieces of an uh, anic- <sighs> freaking you know we're talking about the uh shortening of words there we go oh the acronyms or acronyms yeah. there we go i was thinking anagrams for some reason i don't know why but <laughs> the so the the question that i wanted to get into in terms of you know trauma bonding it's kind of a negative thing right like when you are talking about people 
bonding over trauma. Mm. Usually it's thought of as a negative thing. But within the military, it is a very positive team building kind of thing. Is there a difference between the way it's done within the military versus trauma bonding you would see, say, at like an AA meeting or something where it's a addiction-related trauma bonding? Yeah, it really depends on the intention of the bond. And uh, obviously, sometimes it's conscious, sometimes it's unconscious. But if the, if the bonding is natural in your support system to each other, that's different than being codependent on another mm. person. So that mm. could be an issue there. And you got to remember, too, there's good stresses and bad stresses. There's bonding even in traumatic events for people. Uh, War-torn countries, they're going to have bonds. Uh, the tragedy of 9-11, people who lived through that bonded if they were together in there. And they saved somebody uh, if they were engaged in some kind of escape and they were all together. Uh, mass shootings, people are going to bond a lot of times through that. Um, a homicide detective, it would be actually pretty interesting for your show. Um, I interviewed him uh Moses but he bonds with the families of the victims and he works the child he worked the child unit so he worked with a lot of these children who got murdered mm -hmm. and if you ever understood homicide detectives it was really a different world because they bond with their victims families which is very unusual for cops because they don't do that because they're patrolling so it's a very different world than a cop compared to a homicide detective mm -hmm. and unfortunately this little girl who was murdered um sexually assaulted and murdered had the same birthday he had. So now he celebrates her birthday with his, her family for the last eight years after her death, mm -hmm. but it's still powerful for him. I mean, when I had him talk to the class, I mean, he still got teary eyed. No doubt. That's a, uh, <laughs> challenging to say the least on how to manage that in a, uh, effective mm -hmm. way. Sean, you now I, I do have a thought or a question. No, it's not a hard question. It's more of a, well, we'll just see where it goes. So, <laughs> so, you know, I, as I was listening, I was thinking like, why, why is that? Why, why would the, why would the homicide division be more engaged in the life of the victims or in, in deep, more deeply involved in the fabric of society? versus the street cop, the the line duty officer who doesn't have the time to get deeply involved in the family. He or she is too busy running from catastrophe to catastrophe to catastrophe every 20 minutes. And so homicide takes the time to understand the fullness of the problem mm -hmm. and then is responsible to strip away the layers to get to the bottom of the problem, much like a therapist to some degree. Now, what I'm curious about or more fascinated about, I suppose, is going back to what we were talking about previously, the special operations therapist, we'll call it, uh, who has had some previous SOF uh, experience, and now they're a therapist. What I see happening in this example is a homicide detective needs to connect with the family just like we all need to connect with a therapist, just like we all need to connect as people. It's connecting is different than just writing a ticket. Connecting means you have to care enough about the person to ask them all the right questions and get to know them a little more soulfully. And I, suspo I suspect that's why this individual is doing his birthdays 
with another family because he's so fully connected with them. And it just doesn't happen that often in the normative world. But it happens in special circumstances where someone is pushed outside of their norm and starts connecting on a level that just isn't surface. And so it's curious, the curious moment to me is when I, if I was to step into a therapist's office with SOF experience, we'd be connecting right away. It would take mm-hmm. away years of work. Mm-hmm. And so who on earth has, has taken the time to write the manual that's called how to connect to a human being better. <laughs> Cause man, it would, it would expedite a whole lot of stuff is what I'm thinking. I, 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 I'm going to, it's okay. Chance. I guess I'll, I'll, Expand a little bit because there's a couple of things that popped up in my mind. One question I want to ask both of you for, if I can, real quick, just to curious to see what the gen the gen pop has. And you're not even the gen pop in a sense, but but um, what do you think is the number one thing for a, a therapist to have success? And that's even harder to define, but a success with a client of theirs to help them. What is the number one thing you think it is? Is it the skill set or is it something else? I'm curious to see what you guys think because I know the students don't usually know when they begin but I don't know what the general public thinks about. What do you think, Sean? Uh, For for me, it's, it, it can be called a therapist. It can be called the grocery checkout clerk. It can be called anything. It's just be cool. You know, like you've got to be cool. And what does that mean to you to be right? So cool can mean many things in many circumstances, but if you can kind of be cool, like Fonzie, then we're going to get along. But if I walk into an office or into uh, wherever, it doesn't matter, and I'm meeting someone for the first time, and they're a bit standoffish, or they have a professional shield in front of them, or they, they are arm's distance from what we're about to do, just a, an air of separation, we'll call it, it's, it's going to be a long day. Because the moment that I step in, I know, I know what I'm stepping into within a second. And if in that first second, someone is given off the air of separation, it, it could go on for years. So a second into the room, I'm looking to turn on my heel and walk out. That's a great one. I I was thinking along the lines of, um, I don't know, the words that came to my mind were aggressive patience. You have to be able to be aggressive enough to draw out the information, right? And like actually engage with the person directly and speak to them clearly, Um, but patient enough to allow them to speak and allow them to work through the emotions as well. So at least for my doc, that's the way I refer to it because she would engage the conversation directly, aggressively, um, and engage me to to do things or talk about certain things that I didn't want to. But through that, she was patient enough to let me get there in order to actually go through. Um, Carl, another vet actually here, he says trust and compassion as well. So, I mean, those are, I mean, those are all great things. If you can have all those together in one, you got a good doc, I think. (laughs) Um, But personally, I think that's the biggest one is because you have to be able to push people, but at the same time, allow them to work at their own time. So well, the number uh, one thing we teach is therapeutic alliance. That's the thing, which is kind of everything that you guys mentioned, Carl, as well, is really being able to develop that trust with that client. Because if they don't trust you, they're not sharing stuff squat with you. Mm-hmm. So obviously Chance trusts his client or his doctor 
And if you don't, it won't work. So one of the things I would try to tell them is it, you can be Freud's cousin. It doesn't matter if you're Freud's grandchild. You're not going to get through if you can't develop the trust with this person. And it takes time to get to know them. And one of the things that's interesting, we had a presentation a couple nights ago to the students about war and trauma. And uh, I shared a video of a uh, groom gray who uh, lost his leg with an IED. He was going to clear a room, stepped on the IED, and lost his left leg. But then he made a comment at the very end of his talk about this. He was talking for about eight minutes at this particular range about how everything's led up to this moment. And then he said, you know, I, I saw my left leg and I grabbed my foot. And you're not supposed to be able to grab it <laughs> the way I grabbed it because my left foot was pointing behind and hitting my butt. So you, I guess you could say I kicked my own ass was his comment. But that's when I stopped the video and explained to the students, this is important because he's making light of something that it's overwhelmingly stressful. His coping mechanisms, wait, 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 way too much here. And the brain defended him in, the, in a way that he felt comfortable, which was humor. And also, it's actually kind of fascinating because the brain also dulled the pain for him to be able to process things. He was still looking around to see if he was safe, if anybody else was hurt, because he didn't even realize his leg was gone at the moment yet. And he was trying to think about what else was going on. So you can see the amazing ability of his brain and the cognitive flexibility of a soft guy. But that that moment was really important for them because I told them you have to understand that mindset. Because if you don't understand the mindset and you challenge it, they know that you don't know. And so for me, I always tell them the best thing to do if you want to work with the military, get to know individuals in the military, get to know the lingo. You don't have to know every MOS out there, but at least know what MOS means. <laughs> Maybe. Try to get to know a little bit. Don't act like you know everything, but at least get to know them, their world, what they see, what the, how they view things. Because it's very mm -hmm. different in certain situations like that. Because a lot of people will look at that and go, what's he laughing about? I don't get this. But those moments are overwhelming. Yeah. My I think there's thought. a there's oh, there's sorry there's there is kind of a almost a necessity, I believe, out in the professional therapy world to uh, when working with the military anyway to just create three or four boxes. Maybe it's five or six. I don't know. We'll call it one or two. Uh, create some boxes of categories. And at least one of those categories would be SOF. And then the other category could be everyone else. But if you want to refine everyone else into other little subcategories, that'd be great as well. Because here's what I'm thinking. If you want to understand how to make a, a guy like me better, let me know that I've got a puzzle in front of me that I've got to solve and then I'll go solve it. That's and, and, and if you want to make, make that process happen quicker, tell me that I can't do it by the end of the year. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll try to have it done before Christmas. And so it's understanding the client or it's understanding the category. No one needs to know acronyms. They just need to know what the central button is for that category and for us it's it's tell me it's a puzzle tell me it's hard and tell me i can't have it fixed by dot 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 i'll get to work and so that's us or me or friends like me i guess but then there's all those other categories that have their own central buttons and i think it's for any therapist who works with the military to understand three or four or five different categories understand what that big red button looks like and then punch it 
pretty quickly within the first, uh, hi, how you doing? Real nice to meet you. My name's Sean. I'm your therapist. I'm cool as Fonzie. So, you know, <laughs> I, I think that's a big part of it is actually not just the uh, knowing what button to push, but being able to push back. Right. The, my first doc was very passive, very, um, I would say, analytical, almost to a fault, like deep into the uh, <laughs> the education system. And he like he mm -hmm. it really felt like he was trying to write another book rather than actually help me at the time. But anytime I would come up with something like, oh, you know, I do, civilians are just garbage and blah, 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 all my anger and stuff. And he'd be like, oh, that's understandable. I could see where you would, and it was like is it is it really that understandable <laughs> right <laughs> whereas uh the doc that i have now that i've been with for years the moment i make a convert uh something like that she'd be like are you sure about that isn't your wife a civilian i'm like well, i mean yeah i guess like she's pretty cool too right and then well what about your son well i guess yeah he's a civilian oh well then not all right and so the ability to push back especially against military people I think is is a key because we'll deflect and use humor and talk about basically anything else other than the stuff we don't want to talk about because we can um but the def uh, in order to completely wipe that deflection off the board and be like no we're going to talk about that and be not quite target fixated but um direct enough for our liking i guess Johnny, got that is important but it ain't gonna work if I don't respect you. True, that's a good point. Yeah. And so you can line up all the therapists in the world, and if they take the wrong approach with me within the first 10 seconds, you could have written the book, and I don't care. Oh, that's not a good I, point. I, if I don't respect you, I ain't interested. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's certain ways to not command respect, but to earn my respect within a second of me walking into the room. But you mm. got to be cool. You can't be a goof. Mm -hmm. you, you could be Freud. And I ain't going to listen to you if you're coming across like it. If I walk into Freud's office and he's sitting at his desk writing on a piece of paper, and as I approach him, he gives me one of these, a cursory glance, and then gets back to finishing his sentence, you're done. Freud, you're bounced. <laughs> I don't. I don't care if if you disrespect me, my time, my presence, my moment. That I'm here to play with you. You're here to play with me. We're here to figure some things out. If you can't give me a nod when I walk into the room and and even just give me one of these, I'll just be a minute. We're done because it's disrespectful and you're not gaining my trust. That's a very good point. I like that. Uh, the fact that this is another point that we make snap, snap decisions, right? We're trained to be able to make snap decisions. So if you, if as a therapist, you're not playing the game up to our uh, standards, I guess, right off the bat, it's done. Bye-bye. We're moving on to the next one. So it can be challenging because we're ready to either move forward or, or move somewhere else. Well, it happens even before you step into an office, I feel. Yeah. And, yeah. and so the more refined you are in the process of getting a, a feel or a read on the situation, I get reads pretty quickly. Maybe, maybe that's a, a detriment. I don't know. But before I step into an office, I've already got a read. 
because I understand the parking. Like, oh, what a gong show. And now I'm into, uh, I'm walking down the hallway to the office and there's a mop, you know, leaning against the wall. There's there's overflowing garbage waiting to be picked up. What a gong show. Now I'm into see the executive assistant or the secretary. He or she is uh, giving me a, he'll be right with you and then get straight right back to Wordle or whatever gong show. And so now the door opens and uh, maybe the the therapist of the day says, come on in. Um, uh, so uh, tell me a little bit about your, uh, Sean, is it? You're gone. You know, gong show after <laughs> gong show after gong show. He's halfway or she's halfway through a sentence and I'm done. It's because my reads have built it up to a situation where I feel that you don't respect my time because you're not being professional. That's interesting. Sean taking me back way back in the nostalgia time here with Fonzie on the gong show. Yeah, for sure, man. Why not? <laughs> I don't know how many people even remember these guys? But I love that. It's kind of fun. All right, gong show. That's right. Yeah, but you know, the hilarious part is, uh, pal, that we, we can connect on that. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right. And and so the it's all about connecting. And and a and a cool person will figure out really quick how to connect with another person, even if they're not cool. There's a way to do it. And and it shouldn't just be a passive process where if you're trying to connect with someone, you just kind of think, ah, it'll eventually happen. Maybe by the end of today, we'll have connected. And, and I'm not sure how we connected, but I think maybe we'll try. I'm right into the game right away. I'm trying to figure out how to connect within seconds. Uh, even though I am not a... It's not my capacity to do that. That's just what I do. I'm looking to connect with the person. Hmm. Do you think that that is a, um, do you think that's more of a social uh, issue to, to actually connect with one another? Or do you think it's like a lack of experience? Because I, I was, when I was talking with James earlier was the fact that, uh, we were saying as a, as a society, as a, as a culture, we've kind of lost the ability to communicate with one another. We don't really sit down and have these conversations that are, you know, um, open and have the ability to become a really in-depth conversation where people can be vulnerable and trust one another and actually engage in that type of conversation. Have you seen it at all in the students that you're teaching that, that they have a difficulty connecting to people versus 10, 20 years ago? Well, that I don't, that's a good question. I, I can't compare it generationally, but I can't tell you a couple of things that popped up. One, I want to commend you because one of the things you did that most people, a lot of people don't do is if you see one therapist, you don't like them. They say the whole industry is out the window. Mm. And at least you went and continued on. So that's overgeneralization, right? And that's one of the things that I think the therapist is doing with you right now is a technique called cognitive behavioral therapy, which she, she is, it's a critical thinking type of form of theory. So she's listening to what they would call cognitive distortions, overgeneralizations, mm -hmm. um, magnification of problems, rationalizations, things of that that are causing distress and impairing your ability to be happier and have developed relationships. I don't know if, if, if the therapists today are less apt uh, there's a lot a lot of older crowd coming into therapy again it's, it's usually a, a group that wants to connect with people they try to sometimes they get intimidated by certain individuals because of their background mm. um, so that could be an issue 
Sean made some interesting points in regards to trust, because I know one of the books that helped me initially years ago, and you probably heard of it too, is the Dale Carnegie book, How to Influence and Win People. It was a great book. It was a simple book, mm -hmm. right? Just talk about them. <laughs> so what does everybody like to talk about themselves? Um, one of the things I thought was one of the key things I always tell my students and is the session starts, which Sean alluded to earlier, the session starts the minute that person meets you and you see them, they're walking, how they're walking, how they shake your hand, what they're doing. That's when the session starts with that therapist. You start learning what's going on. When the person sits down and, and you start filling out some of the information that you have to, right, in the history, it isn't simply asking, hey, Sean, where, are you, where, where do you live? Oh, you live. How long have you lived there? Oh, you just moved there six months ago. How do you like it? As I'm filling in the details, I'm gathering information quickly about Sean. What do you think it's different about that, Sean, from where you lived before? Are the people different? How he responds to that, if he tells me the people are nicer where I was before, tells me something. It's important for him how the people are. If he tells me something like the food sucks here, okay? So he's not concerned. Something else is missing. <laughs> so he's concerned about mm -hmm. the food here. We'll figure something else out. But those are things that I would start taking notes of and listening to what's salient in his mind at that point. If I ask about, you know, siblings, do you have any siblings? If he says yes, I'm listening to how that yes sounds. Yeah, I have an older brother. Okay. We got something going on there. Maybe we'll explore that a little later and find out what's going on with the older brother. It may be nothing. It may be a history of issues. It may be last week the older brother did something. You're like, I don't know. But these are things you have to be attuned with. And emotional intelligence, which is the reading of body language and understanding emotions of the other person, is, is crucial. And it's a skill that gets developed over time. You know, uh, I've taught that a while back. I used to teach a lot of body language and statement analysis. And when you're looking at people and they're talking to you, you want to pick up on, on cues. So if the person tells you, I asked them about their father, and all of a sudden now their leg moves up and down, or it was moving up and down the whole time, but now it stops and becomes an anomaly and goes away from the baseline. I know something's going on. doesn't mean it's child abuse necessarily. It could be the argument they had last week or they didn't want to do something for who knows, but I know something's going on. So I have to explore that later to see if there's anything there or not. And that's where it takes time. Like for you, Chance, when you're with your therapist, you can kind of see that they're gauging. They know how to push you enough where you say, you know, you don't say buzz off. I'm out of here. And you mm -hmm. might even say that because everybody has to remember when you go to therapy, this is not the easiest thing to do is to tell somebody you really don't know about your deepest, darkest fears. You may have shame. You may have guilt, whatever it is. That's not easy just to tell somebody, no matter a therapist or not. And that takes time to develop that trust with that individual. So you can tell them and you can say, this person really does care about me. And that's not, that's not easy to get. It's very true. I was, uh, I was thinking how the the connections that you can make, especially with a therapist, um, are they can be really deep and lasting, but they're also very easy to make it very surface level, right? It's and I've, I've heard this from many people who have attended therapy of like, oh, I couldn't tell my therapist about that. And I'd be like, why? That's what they're there for. Like that's, that's the whole point. Um, but I think, again, a lot of people aren't making that connection. They're not taking the time to find the right doc in order to do it. And the, the reason that I actually went to multiple doctors was <laughs> I actually saw this first doctor for over a year or just about a year. Um, and I was just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And, worse. and uh, 
I was talking to a friend of mine. He's like, you do know you can see whoever you want, right? <laughs> it's like, what? Oh, okay. And I immediately started looking for specialists. And I found my doc who does equine therapy and working with the horses was the thing that uh, made me make massive strides in my recovery. So um, I, I think it's it's surprising to me that people are, I can't say surprising. It is disconcerting, I guess that others out there that are going to therapy aren't actually taking the time to find the right person. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, do you think there's anything that, uh, you know, we could do maybe as a community to help that? Or do you think as doctors would be able to do Sean, you got something? Yeah. You, you didn't know how that's true. Of course. How could you? And, and by the way, um, my thought is this one. And I'm curious about your thoughts, Dr. Carlos about S O F versus we'll call it the regular military because here's how i see it i in the in in my military career it was predominantly spent observing people all my my entire career trajectory was that i spent more time looking through a 10 power sniper scope at people than most people have looked at people i've just studied people a long time and then being a high performance uh, race coach for 15 years and et cetera, et cetera, teaching and all of that good stuff. I've spent a lot of time staring at people, thinking about people, watching that knee twitch or not. Mm-hmm. And so uh, here's my thought. Because of all of that, when I walk into a place, I'm studying you more than you're studying me. Whereas Chance Burrell's never learned how to study. He, he never was on the same career trajectory he's never spent the time observing men walk up and down uh, a dusty field for hour after hour year after year he just hasn't had the eyeballs on the target long enough to understand how targets react in all circumstances and so he's he's a bit of a newbie in studying humans whereas i am not so when i walk into a place Within a second, I'm getting a read. I don't have to spend a year with a person to understand that they ain't good to go. Uh, so I'm bouncing really quick. Whereas uh, a lot of people out there, I just feel, and I might be wrong, that they haven't spent enough time understanding how other humans work in order to assess the other human that's supposed to be working with them. Hmm. No, that's a great point because soft guys do have a high emotional intelligence. They're able to read individuals. And there's certain individuals in therapy. I got to be careful how I phrase this because <laughs> I don't want it's not a, it's not a comparison, but they have similar qualities in regards to reading other people and therapists have encountered this issue is individuals that are psychopaths will tend to read people extremely well. Um, soft people can read people well, too. Cops can read people well, too. So these are individuals that are done who can do that. It's not for every therapist. <laughs> and again, not every therapist can, can do it as well as others. Everybody just you know, depends on the years of experience and what you're trained in. Um, some of the tough, another group that really challenged me were CIA. They were very difficult, especially the recruiters, because they were able to read people very, very well. Uh, I was profiled by one guy and uh, I was still stunned in 20 minutes how well he read me. <laughs> so he was did a really nice job on that. And my game is to understand that they're reading me as I'm reading them. The only catch is, and you probably understand this too, there comes, has to come a point 
I'll, I'll, I guess I can use you if you want. If, if you don't like it, just let me know. But Sean has to come to the point where he realizes I got to let go. Okay, I trust this person enough. I can't keep reading them because if I keep doing that, I'm not going to get any better here either. Because I'm just busy reading this guy all the entire time. And I'm reading you. And I'm reading you for a different reason. I'm not reading you for necessarily trust all the time. I'm reading you to find out what's bothering you and how are, is it affecting you and how can we help? For instance, when I use techniques to look at body language, interrogators will use it to look for deception. I'm looking for deception for a different reason, not to convict somebody, but to understand that they're trying to hide something because it hurts. That's what I'm looking for. Why are they not telling me what's going on? Maybe you heard this before. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. Maybe therapists have told you. I don't know. Maybe you've done it yourself. They don't always tell you everything initially. There are some people that vomit it all out and tell you immediately what's going on. Others don't. They delay it. And then later on, about two sessions or three, you're thinking to yourself, why didn't you tell me that <laughs> in the beginning? Wow, this took like three hours to get to. But as you get experience, you realize it wasn't easy. They don't trust you enough. It's painful. It's shameful. So when I'm reading the body language, I'm thinking there's more to this story. I'm going to have to wait for it. I'm going to have to find out how I can access it in, a, in an interesting way to not um, offend them. I don't know if I use the Dante's thing or not. Did I use the Dante's thing on the last show? I don't think so. You guys read Dante, Divine Comedies? Yep. Okay, so if you read, thank God, no, a lot of people don't read that. But if you read Divine Comedy, remember he goes through hell. Mm -hmm. Well, this is what I, this is how I associate a lot of people who suffer through trauma. They're going to have to go through hell, but they need somebody to help them, which is Virgil in this case, as they go through the different levels of hell, right? The little contos. And they get to the one place where there's a door that you can't go into. Remember that? They've got the guard out there, the sentry that's protecting it. Those are the deeper, darker sides that we don't, whether it's sex abuse or severe trauma that you saw something, whatever it may be, that's the place where we have to really kick in. I always tell people there's three things that people mostly need to be healthy again. Mentally, a lot of times is one is coping skills, which is hopefully what we can provide the client, right? How to deal with things just like the therapist was doing with you, Chance, right? Mm -hmm. How to look at things differently and expand your view a little bit and look at the alternatives like you would do. Number two is resources, which today we have more than we did, but not everywhere has the same amount of resources in, in the country or countries. And then the third one is the toughest one, which is a support system. Do you have a real support system? This isn't the buddy that you're going to watch boxing with. This isn't the buddy that you're not going to share stuff with. This is the buddy you goof around with. This is the buddy that you can tell stuff that you might not even tell your parents or siblings. You might not have told anybody. And this is a person you know if you do tell them that, they're not going to drop you like a bad habit. They're going to look at you and say, it's okay. Whether I've been there or not, it doesn't matter to me, but I want to hear your side. And if you don't have that, that's tough. Mm-hmm. And a lot of individuals that struggle with psychiatric disorders, a lot of times don't. They don't have anybody to go to. They can't even go to their parents for whatever reasons. Maybe the parents themselves are the problem. Maybe their family's the problem. Whatever it is. And that becomes very difficult. So it isn't only the therapist who does a lot of work. It's, it's getting other people to come in to participate. Finding those resources. Finding that support system to help you out. So again, back to Sean's question, I kind of digressed a little bit too far, but back to Sean's question about the emotional intelligence, it's really, you have to come to the point, both the, the, the client and the, and the therapist has to come to a point where they understand, okay, we're done reading, <laughs> let's get to business now and figure it out. Um, and hopefully they pass the test, but you know, Sean made the point too, and so did you Chance, sometimes it doesn't work out and that's okay. You move on to somebody else. I tell the therapist the same thing. If you're not clicking, 
And you can see you're just not really getting anywhere. You're doing nobody any favors by sticking around. You can try to refer them out and see what happens. Um, yeah. That's usually the way that can go because you're not doing anybody any favors if you're sitting there and trying to force something that's not going to work. Yeah. Sean, you got a point? You look like you're. I do. Real, just real brief. Maybe, maybe part of the problem, and maybe this isn't part of the problem. Maybe it's not a problem, but maybe it would be helpful if everyone in the game on the client side and on the therapy side or on the client side and professional side, maybe if everyone was super clear that there's actually two things happening in parallel, you walk through the door and your job is to figure out how to trust the person in front of you. The other person's job is to figure you out. And maybe the roles have been muddied over time mm -hmm. because I've never heard anyone clearly state that your job as a as a veteran is to sit down, get a read on this person, and see if you can spend a year with them. Do you mm -hmm. trust him? Do you like him? Do they smell bad? You shouldn't be thinking about they smell bad four weeks from now. You got to think about all these things as a long term relationship, and maybe that's maybe things are going a little sideways there. I don't know. What are your thoughts? That's a good point. I mean, it, it does take a dance and you have to see if you're interested in that person in that way and be able to communicate with them. Again, you're doing nobody any favors. If you're a client, you're not doing yourself any favors if you're staying with a person that you don't really like to even see. Yeah. <laughs> it's not doing anything. And it is hard to decipher because I know these are, these are a lot of generalities because it really depends on the individual psychiatric disorders. There are more severe ones than others and every psychiatric disorder is on a continuum. So it really depends on how severe it is. Um, but you, if you can able to, how would you say, discriminate between what is something you just don't click with the therapist or I just don't want to share with anybody. <laughs> if you can discriminate that line, that becomes helpful too because you also don't want to get in the habit of, I'm not talking to Dr. Jones, you know, he doesn't out, oh, Dr. Bird's off the wall, the Dr. Taylor, you know, everybody's nuts. I'm out of here. After a while, you get nothing. <laughs> you know, then, then you have to kind of look at back and say, is it me or is it all these psychologists? And, you know, Sean made a good point earlier too. Sometimes we don't know what we don't know. So sometimes you don't even know if, you, if you're doing that or not, or if you even have the abilities to do certain things, go to other people and things like that. You're not alone on that one, Chance. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's a really big thing. I see. I heard that constantly, where people say, "Oh, I saw this therapist, and then we're you know, the therapy isn't for me." Like, what? That's like <laughs> telling me, "Oh, I met this American," which I used to get all the time. I met a, you know, Americans are crazy. What American did you meet? Oh, this person over here. Where were they? L.A. What part of L.A.? This part of L.A. You know, those other Americans like in Iowa. It's like. <laughs> Yeah. You mean you mean Bob from Canada? Oh yeah, I know Bob from Canada. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's the same, right? Right. But what in the world are you talking about? Canadians are what? Yeah. <laughs> it's like actually, I just I have a good friend from Canada. I just talked to yesterday, Matt, and he was talking about the same exact thing. Uh, everybody just throws every, all the Canadians. All oh, Canadians are the nicest people, you know. Like look at Bill Burr's comment. He made some comment about maple leaves or something, or <laughs> maple sauce or something. I don't know what he was talking about, but. <laughs> Um, you can't overgeneralize and the same thing you can't do with therapists. You can't just say they're all the same. Therapy doesn't work. I've had a couple military guys that they were interesting because they told me therapy doesn't work and they had three or four therapists. And that was interesting. So it's either them not wanting to confront or the therapist just either doesn't, maybe it doesn't work. And look, I'm not stupid enough to say 
it's the only answer. Equine therapy is a great alternative. Exercise is something people keep dropping the ball, never mentioning. Mm -hmm. Fitness and nutrition, huge benefits. Is it going to cure schizophrenia? No. Is it going to cure an adjustment disorder because something happened, you lost your job or a family member? It won't cure it, but it'll help you a hell of a lot more to deal with it. You get a lot of endorphins are released. So there's things you can do outside of just talk therapy. You know, taking walks in the green grass has been shown to help people. Going to the ocean, to the beach, things of that nature, reading, meditating. A lot of stuff like that can really be beneficial. So it's not just us, that's for sure. Yeah. Added tools for the toolbox, right? More more things you mm -hmm. have that you can draw from, the better. Absolutely. Um, one of the funny things is you brought up Divine Comedy. It was uh, one of the, the horses that I work with on a regular basis. His name is Dante. <laughs> he's, a, he's a big uh, saddlebred, and he's got a big white cross on his forehead. <laughs> it's just too perfect um one of the things working with him that happened quite a bit was you know i'd be sitting there brushing them down or uh doing one of the the maintenance things that you do for horses right and the doc would be there and she'd be talking asking me questions about some of the, the topics that were bothering me and this is what i love about horses is the fact that as soon as i started I was getting a physiological reaction even before I recognized I was getting a physiological reaction to what I was talking about. The horse kicked in immediately and would either lean on me or bite my elbow or in, engage me in some way to remind me, Hey man, you're right here. You're not back there. That's what I, one of the reasons why I love equine therapy is because they can recognize that long before you can. And then the more you do it, the quicker you can pick it up on yourself. And then you start to self-regulate rather than relying on the herd to regulate for you. It's like a biofeedback mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, yeah, and they're cool. just awesome in general, <laughs> but, but just hard to put on your wrist and they're a little actually bit hard expensive. So <laughs> yeah. there's that. There is. Uh, Although, I mean, you can put, you know, you can you can put a other, horse on your wrist, but it's not going to be the way you want it. Loops, uh, other than the horse on your wrist. <laughs> uh, I've got a curious, uh, maybe you've been asked this before doc, or maybe not. Uh, I, I don't mind being the first one to ask you. And it's uh, it's a pointed question. It might put you off a little bit, but I'm not trying to be uh, in, um, in. I'm not trying to create uh, discomfort for you when I ask this question. Is there something um, for you that you've noted over the years of working with either veterans? Yeah, let's just stick with veterans, where you can form a pattern uh, as to this guy is not going to make it. He's not going to make it in therapy. Or maybe you've had three or four or 10 failures with veterans where you realize the pattern within yourself. Oh, I'm not the guy. I've got to pass this person on to a colleague. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's a big question, maybe bigger than I you know, think I'm it sorry. Was. I'm That's sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, it's an interesting question because one of the comments I make again to the students is if you're looking for closure in this profession, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> Because you're not going to get closure all the time. You're going to have their clients who are just going to leave. They're not going to tell you whether they got better or they got worse. Sometimes you'll get them to tell you they got better. I've had clients four years later that tell me, you helped me so much. And I had no idea because they just left. And That's fantastic. My call. So I don't know. Other um, clients, do I think that? No, I, it depends on the psychiatric disorder, obviously. And depends on, on their commitment levels. And we, we're only a human being, like I tell People, you only have one hour a week with this individual. They got 167 hours. They're going to have to deal with whatever they got going. That's a long time. 
because you have to fight through stuff. And hopefully you'll give them, because we can only give them the skill sets. And this is something every, for everybody out there who's listening, who will listen. How do you define success for good mental health? How do you define success in that therapy session? It isn't like you're never going to be sad again. It isn't like you're never going to be anxious again. But can you deal with it the next time? Can you deal with it better than you're dealing with it today? That's really the only thing I can see as being successful. Do you have a skill set now that's better? As a soft guy, you know, you're not going to win every battle. You'll win a lot of battles. And if you're still here, you won every battle in the sense that, that you're here. But you have certain skill sets that makes you better each and every time that you go out there. Every battle makes you sharper. You look back at the things. Everybody I talk to the soft community, every time they have a battle, a gun battle, whatever it is, they learn from it. And it makes them better to go out the next time if they have to encounter something. They realize, okay, I could do this because last time I didn't do this. A Green Beret told me he he took somebody, they were, they were fighting and they went to the ground, they got on the back and he realized it wasn't the game for him, <laughs> this situation. It's not good to be on my back with this guy on top of me and I have weapons on my vest. This isn't going to be helpful. So he kind of figured that out. But those are things that you learn over time. So I don't know if you can ever predict that, you know, we're not in the game of predicting who's going to do better or worse or mm, yeah, have sure. I got... Have I tossed people out or said, no, I don't think we can work together? There's been a couple where I thought they might be better off with somebody else. There's been a couple where I knew I wasn't ready for it. This is early on in my career where I thought. That's good. Yeah, because I had a, um, had a situation with them because they had a very, it was a seven or eight year old that was sexually molested by her uncle. And that was just something I didn't, I just didn't, couldn't deal with at that time. Can I, I deal that, with it today? Yeah. It, at that yeah, time, no. It, it, knowing your limits is important, particularly as a professional trying to understand another human's limits. I always tell people if you're working with individuals with trauma and Sean tells me something and I go, oh my God, how do I, right. and you start getting more reactive than they are, that's not going to help the situation. So if you have yes, the issues, you're you fired. Yeah. <laughs> you have issues you have to deal with. If you can't handle that, Step aside and let somebody else do it. Because again, you're doing nobody any favors and you're actually probably hurting yourself at the same time because you, you haven't reconciled that issue that you have. But you know, the trick is, of course, um, you finding the right balance in that moment. And I'm using you specifically, even though I'm referring to the entire industry, is finding the right balance in that moment to um, respond rather than just keep a, just a little bit more than an arm's distance from the entire thing that's going on in the moment impassionately or dispassionately or disconnected from the moment doesn't help the moment you've got to be connected as the professional so that there there's some form of tangible empathy rather than a professional shield between the two of you overreaction is not cool but underreaction is not cool yeah exactly <laughs> that's right and you have to gauge that, and that takes practice and time. And you have to it learn. Does. Yeah, and you have to learn your client and, and see how they're responding to it. Because if your client starts simply, you know, starts comforting you, <laughs> you know, you've got to overboard. Unless it's a new strategy. <laughs> some some things have gone wrong at that point, I think. Uh, Satch, good morning, good to see you. Glad you were able to join us. Um, <clears throat> it was interesting. I had a, a thought about this: is the fact that. You know, uh, Sean and I talked a little, little while ago about the excuse of external proxy and the the drive to like 
want to work so after mm. when i got out of the military and i was like i want to do something i started working getting into advocacy and i started working with other people trying to like help them as i thought i was good to go even though i was not <laughs> in any way needing the most help right <laughs> exactly and but um, i think everyone goes through that no i think so yeah um and the 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 tool or the lesson that i learned in that was the fact that boundaries have to be upheld right and there's going to be a point in time where I can't help somebody when they call me at two o'clock in the morning and I have to be able to go. I'm, I can't do anything for you right now. You got to call this guy or call this number or talk mm -hmm. to that person or whatever, because I'm not going to be any help to you. <laughs> I'm already, I'm in the hurt locker myself. Not a good time to chat, but at the same time, I'm always going to answer that phone regardless. So it's, it is a weird balancing act, but it is a, something that we eventually learn is to set those boundaries and make sure that they're, um rigidly adhered to uh, maybe not rigidly but adhered to that's is a great same, point same for well, therapists have the same issues too because they burn out yeah they try to especially if you're dealing with individuals with trauma um severe trauma child abuse things of that nature becomes very difficult because you're taking in a lot mm. and um if you're not taking care of yourself in other ways it can be a problem your other comment about stopping that's but a big one for a lot of the military especially for soft guys is when they're going 150 miles an hour to slam it to, to zero at a stoplight all of a sudden just try to adjust it's not a very easy thing to do and they've been identified as a certain type of person they live a certain type of way and now everything is just there's no easing out process it's just over and it's just kind of a weird scenario you know and I get it. It's, it's, it's a difficult situation. Is what do you do? Cops have it. But baseball players, pro baseball players, pro basketball mm -hmm. players, you know, they're done. I remember interviewing, I was blessed enough to interview Larry Holmes. And I asked him, you know, what's the toughest thing been for you for retirement? He goes, nobody calls me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I didn't expect that <laughs> from him. But he's like, yeah, I mean, I Nobody cares anymore about what my opinions are. Nobody cares about what I do anymore. And again, it's the identity of the job, right? Whatever job you have, if you're really locked onto it, then sure, it's 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 hard. You feel there's a loss that happens, just like a loss of a human being, loss of a job, uh, all that's connected. And it takes time to find who the new chance is or whoever the new person is, and then move along from there. Yeah. But for therapists, yeah, I think it's it's tough because they can get overwhelmed pretty quickly too if, if you're dealing with a, a tough population. Now that you've said that, I'm curious. I've never thought it before. Do therapists have therapists? They're advised to. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're advised to always. Uh, I always advise them to do the same thing. If you got somebody mm -hmm. who's, you know, something that it, it resembles your past, something that triggers something in you, go talk to somebody to 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 get that out of there. It's a very tough field. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. And um, Chance's comment about, you know, being on the phone, he's got a similar taste to it. That's kind of what the, the, the feeling is sometimes. Yeah. Right. So is, is uh, there um, is there an inception level of therapists? So, you know, like a therapist looking after a therapist who's looking after a therapist, you know, the movie Inception. <laughs> We're three layers deep now, baby. <laughs> No, there can be. Uh, it just depends on the, uh, also the awareness of the therapist, if they really believe they're having issues do they need to talk to anybody they get the same mindset a lot of other people do am i good right. enough for this job can i do it maybe i'm too weak maybe i shouldn't do it right so yeah, yeah it just depends on the context 
We got a uh, we got a pointed question here before I know there's like not a lot of time before we go, but I think we'll stretch it just a little bit for this question because I think it's a good one. Uh, Carl says, <clears throat> I have a pointed question. How do you know if you've done enough as a friend, colleague, therapy, therapist, etc., even if uh, there is a loss? That makes sense. Do you do you have any thoughts on that? That's a good question. It's a tough question again. So, you're right. A lot of pointed stuff coming at me today, but that's good. Um, really, it depends on how you feel what you, about what you did. Did you feel like you did everything you could? And that's also dangerous to go down that route. You have to be careful because there's always something we could do more. We could do better. So you can't. But did you feel like you did it enough at that time? You can't. Like I tell sometimes the therapist, you have to remember they're going to make decisions regardless of what you said or didn't say to them. They're going to make decisions on their own. And some of those decisions aren't good. And some of those decisions are good. Did you give it your best when you were there? Uh, I've seen people who have friends who they thought they did everything for them. They, they picked up the phone, as Chance mentioned. They went to their home. They did what they did. And then two weeks later, they still commit suicide. And they blame themselves. Could I have done more? Again, that's something you can never answer. And it's something you can't answer. And you have, can't put yourself on that. You can't blame yourself for that. You have to understand, did you do the best you could at the time? Because mm -hmm. remember, and people don't, people forget this. And I think sometimes people think they, they have more power than they do sometimes. But there's 168 hours a week. Chance can't be there with anybody for 160. Neither can I. Nobody can. So if you're talking to somebody for five hours in a week, who knows what the next thought was five hours later for that person? Who knows if something triggered something? Did you do the best as you can as a friend? Yeah. Right? And it's a judging game. We don't get, Sean made the point, we don't get a manual of how to be human beings. And every human's different. Everybody responds differently. Some people you can push a little bit. Maybe Chance couldn't have been pushed with that current therapist two years before. Yeah. Maybe he was ready to be pushed now. How are you going to know? So a lot of it, unfortunately, is trial and error. Hopefully that answers the question. It's kind of difficult because I know a lot of therapists will blame themselves. Oh, crap. I, I could have done more. I could have said more. Maybe you could have. Maybe you couldn't have. But you yeah. learn from it. You know, uh, Sean, I think you got a you got a mug in front of you that has something on it that might uh, have something to do with that. What do we got here? Oh, go the other way. Here's what I like to tell all the therapists out there. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's really it. That's really it. Yeah. So we are, <clears throat> we're just over an hour now. I really, thanks, Carlos, man. I really appreciate it, Doc. This has been a great conversation. Didn't go down the road I thought it was going to go down, but it works. It was a groovy <laughs> conversation. I really had a blast. Any, uh, any final thoughts, anything on anything we've gone over today that uh, rattle around in the, the big old brain of yours? <laughs> um honestly if you're looking to try to connect i think getting the dale carnegie book is great um, if you're struggling with something obviously get help whether it's mental health or some other way whether it's exercise uh, meditation support groups whatever it is look for alternatives that one thing doesn't work don't ever give up if you're a soft guy you know that <laughs> you know that in your heart you don't give up so that's my final words on that I like it. I like it a lot. Sean, any final thoughts before we shut her down? 
Yeah, thanks for showing up and bringing the heat, Doc, is, is, is now becoming the trend. Mm -hmm. So I uh, really appreciate that. I uh, love the conversation, learned a few things along the way, which is awesome. And I'm sure that anyone who's listening to this uh, learned uh, a bunch of things as well. So really enjoy uh, your knowledge base today. Yeah, yeah, really do appreciate you showing, uh, you being here and uh, and being cool with the timing adjustments as things were like flying left, right, and center. But <laughs> it worked out quite well. Um, and I think that we definitely have. I know I've learned some stuff. I know well, Sean's learned some stuff. I'm sure you've learned some stuff. I'm sure everybody watching has learned some stuff. But the ability, the key point about it is not just learning; it's about putting it into action. It's about actually utilizing the information that you just uh, brought in to help you build into be a better stronger faster human being and that way you can continue to grow every day and you can do that with us here on the collective we'll see you all tomorrow chimo chimo